the point where we are today. Not this one. I, I printed out the first one and I'll, the second one I've got here, but the first one I'll send to the secretary for tomorrow to print out again. But then he says, but he, asked, he, he, he stipulates, he says, please do not point for an answer to the reformistic tendency of the age. What's he saying there? Don't tell me to go to the reform. Who are the reform? The Ascala. Why not go there? You can say, listen, you got an issue with Judaism. Don't throw the baby out the bathwater. Just become reform. And he's like, don't give me that. How little by little everything is being cut away which does not harmonize with the conception of the destiny of man or the needs of the time. It is not this in itself a step outside Judaism. What's he saying? I, I want to appreciate Judaism, but I want to appreciate authentic Judaism. I've understood Judaism like this. It's a backwards, bizarre thing that should have gone away long ago. It didn't go away. And we're still saddled with it today. It doesn't produce joy. It doesn't produce perfection. Why are we still with this? Don't tell me to go to the reform. Because what is the reform? It's basically, it's throwing things out that don't keep up with the, with the times. There's a famous rabbi called Rabbi Louis Jacobs who started an organization in England called Mazorti. He basically got kicked out of uh, orthodoxy to whatever extent. It was very, it was like, it was called the, uh, the I don't know they call it, the Jacobs Affair or something like that. But, but what, what, why am I bringing this up? Later on in life, he wrote that people had a problem with him because he questioned certain aspects of uh, the authenticity of Judaism. It was complicated, but he was a very, very wise and very, very learned man as well. But at the end of his life, he reflected that once he opened the door that we can now change things to fit in line with, be it archaeology or whatever it may be, if we're going to allow the fundamental principles of Judaism to be tweaked, there's no end to that process. At what point do you say that's enough? The minute you open the door, doesn't mean Judaism doesn't change its perspective. Clearly it does. But there are principles and foundational ideas that if you start taking one away, the next generation will take the next one away. And the next generation, to the point now, Mazorti and Reform, you can't really distinguish between the two of them. The way it's put, tell me one example where Reform took a right-wing view against the left-wing view of the time. If there was a progressive vision, Reform adopted. Now, Judaism authentic authentically has both progressive and conservative viewpoints. I'm not talking about American politics, I'm talking about the ideas. But the Reform movement will always take the progressive vision. Now. That, 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 that's there's only a matter of time till anything you had at the beginning is gone. And we see that with reform and conservative. They started at one point and slowly but surely they just will become, as time goes on, indistinguishable from the rest of the culture. And he's saying, don't give me that as an answer. Should one not rather, if, if, sorry, if one is a Jew consistently carrying out these notions instead of attaching oneself to such contradictory principles, by which nothing can be a Help me here. Capricious, fortuitous patchwork. Nice. And besides from this very reform, everything is lacking. Unity, legally constituted, legislative bodies, authority. Not sure what that means. No. Would you like to continue reading from here? Just the last paragraph. Thank you. Very reform, everything is lacking unity, legally constituted legislative bodies, authority. All of these efforts are only the doings of individuals, the most divergent opinions prevail among the rabbis and preachers. While some as enlightened men of the time tear down, others hold fast to the rotten building and wish themselves to be buried under it. 
I myself recently saw a young rabbi who, whenever he travels, in simple-minded piety, contents himself with prisoners' fare, and whom, when one visits him, one may still find pouring over the folios of the Talmud. Nay, he is even said to grieve earnestly over the fact that some of the members of his congregation are so far advanced in enlightenment that they do not close their places of business on the Sabbath. Well, so, 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 so that, that, that's quite an apt description of the, I don't know, he's making fun, not making fun in a nasty way. He's like, yeah, the, the, all the other cases were looking at every side and cries because the Yidden are leaving. For God's sake, grow up. You've got one side of Judaism that's tearing things down, and you've got the other side of Judaism that's holding on to a rotting corpse and wants to be buried underneath it. And to get evidence to this, you have this pious rabbi who goes always on the, the, the cheapest fare on the train, and all he can do is read his little book, and he even cries that people are nebuch, they keep their doors open on Shabbos. Please, and as he said, I'm just trying to give the emotional contemporary perspective. I'm about to marry, but God knows when I think that perhaps they shall be called upon to exercise the duties of a father for children, I tremble. What do you think he's referring to that? Yeah. Meter, perhaps? Oh. That's intense. Yeah. I tremble, and rightly so. It's, 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 it's giving me, I don't know if this is what Ratash was looking at specifically, but when I read that, I was like, yeah, you should tremble. It's a big deal. And if you're not in any way, and you think this is a weird hocus-pocus um, rotting culture, you're going to carry out that duty? It feels so wrong. Yeah. Like, I was at a, I was at a verse this year. I think a lot of us were. I was at a different verse than most. And I was so uncomfortable. Like, I was standing, I was like videoing the whole thing. And I was like, this entire thing, it's like so uncomfortable. And well, they couldn't really see anything. I was doing it for the mom. She's like, I'm kidding me, her phone. And I spoke to like this guest, and the guest was like, oh, yeah, I have one son. And like, it really makes you feel like it's a carbon, like you're sacrificing something. <laughs> I was like, that's a way of like, okay, that's, 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 that's slightly creepy. <laughs> it feels so wrong. To jump into the, uh, the, the idea of circumcision for a moment. The um, there's two things to be said. Firstly, you can bring arguments why it makes sense to do it from a secular standpoint. Not health. Health isn't a good argument. Why is health not a good argument? Because if it wasn't, didn't those health benefits weren't there, you would still do it. So it's it's health is not a good argument. There is an idea that there's a uh, uh, if you don't do it for your son, you've put him in a really bad situation, right? And the relationship between the rest of the family is really skewed which isn't an argument to begin doing it, but if you're in the culture that does it, that's a secular position to be able to continue. But in a genuine way, yeah, it's a massive deal. Anybody who reflects on the idea of circumcision for two minutes recognizes that it is the biggest, hardest thing any Jew will ever have to do in the pursuit of his religion. It takes commitment and it takes people, people like, oh, master stuff, master stuff. No, reflect on what you're doing, appreciate the intensity of it, and then still choose to do it. Not to pretend it's a simcha, it is a simcha. But there is also a weight to it as well. So a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It wasn't easy. I did it four times, and it wasn't easy either of them, any one of them. It's a, it's definitely a big deal. And I think that's the point. It's not carbon. That's, that's the, point. I, I, I think the language of carbon is a bit dark and unnecessary and missing the point. But no, it is a, it is a, it's a commitment that the Jewish people are making to Hashem. We're committed to this reality to the point that we go into covenant with Hashem. Uh, let's be. Uh, and also, just one last point. What's calling on him to go through this existential turmoil? 
what's causing this reflection? I don't want to get married. And that is what really gets, you want a midlife crisis mo moment? It's before you get married. No, no one is here. Anybody is married? Right. Married, marriage is a big deal. It's not, it's, 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 it's on the face of it, it is terrifying. It's a terrifying concept. And I, sorry for recording, but it's, it's terrifying in the best sense of the word and in the worst sense of the word. Meaning you, you are making a direction in your life and you're choosing it. And it, 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 it's, it's, it's a big deal. And that's what causes hardcore reflection about where you want to go and who you want to do that with. And that's what is calling him to begin this internal journey because he's about to make that decision. And what direction is he going to go in? Because it's not that decide later on. No, this is the time that he's going to decide. And Rapesh using this as a, as a movement in the story is very key. Yeah. Excuse me, dear friend, that I've spoken so freely and unreservedly. Although I know that you revere all this very much, and I suppose must do so as rabbi on account of your position, still I am confident that you have so much love left for me from former days that you will, in answering me, forget your office. For what that teaches, I know sufficiently well. Farewell, your Benjamin. Um, I please don't answer like a rabbi because I know everything you know. I, I, I feel bad because we don't have any comments authorities. We might have to. Um, Why isn't the help argument a good one though? Because we have to our assets. Oh, so when I say when I say the help argument, it, the help argument can be um, good for you on the ground for sure. But from a point of view, into oh, I got more. Oh. But from a point of view, of it's false. You're putting stuff in front of it. You can't say because it's healthy. Because they can look at you again if it wasn't. But I don't have to confront that reality. Yeah, I have to be, and my God was crazy and tell me to do it. I don't know if it's going to be the right place. Okay, lesson number two. Let's dive into it. Are we ready to move? We're in a roll? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Ready, rock and roll. Wait, wait a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec. What should say? No, 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 no. I've got next one. I just want to give you back your. Uh... We'd like to begin. That's it. That's all. We went, we went, we went. If anybody's uncomfortable reading. Oh, so do you want to start? This is a long, it's a long word. I'll just okay, let's go for it. You know that in my earliest youth, these subjects employed my soul, that weird, sorry, that weird, iron light, and uh, dark green parents. The voices of Tanakh spoke my spirit. 
and that of my own free will, where my intelligence had already matured, I permitted it enough to lead me to the mind. Will not external necessity cause me to select the location of Rabbi, but my own inner life then. So much the more do I wonder that you can clear to find me in the hypocrisy of office. I'll be angry with you, or you're not my friend, or I was not yours. But that is the curse of the time and the fatal obstacle of to benefit activity on the part of those in official situation. That which should be a treasured possession of all, has become the attribute of office, so that people are inclined to look upon the universal rule of life as the mere regulation of an order and say, yes, he must be so, must be so, his position, his brag, demands it. That degradation of the age. It seems quite natural that a man should tell everything, his most cherished individuality, his inmost conviction, or crowd, and everything is deemed exclusive. If it by yellow bread, red, <laughs> wrong thing. Sorry. Yeah. Right, so let me just get your pause, pause here. Thank you. Um, to, to, to focus in on that, what Rafash in the lens of the rabbi is saying two things here. What comes to mind? What does he, what comes to mind when he, he makes this description? I'm not only defending it because I'm a rabbi, I'm defending it. But he's also opening up with, I think the validation is very key here. He describes his relationship with the Tyra as not being because I'm better than you. It spoke to me at an early age. It worked for me. I understood it. It called me. There's something very lacking, perhaps, in certain religious sectors, that your religiosity is somehow that you're a better person. Often it might very well be that you just, it worked for you. you this wasn't your struggle. Rather than looking at your religiosity as being, yeah, sometimes it is, but often it is because people have a certain disposition. A person who has a disposition for um, family and authority will flourish in Judaism. Then people who don't will struggle more. And whose fault is that? It's neither of their fault. And he's validating that in the conversation, meaning he's leveling the playing field. When you're having a conversation with someone, it's an important point. Trying to level the power dynamic. That it's not like, I will now preach to you, my child, from my position of higher authority. People love moral strutting. Ah, I do X, I do Y. No, in a conversation with another person, if I begin by saying peasant, you're not on a good start. It's like, no, these things spoke to me at a young age, and this is what I did, and I chose to do this and do this. Yes. Yes, sir. So, simply speaking, I would question that first premise. Because Hashem gave the Torah, it means we can all do it. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. It comes to a question, do I think everybody should be from? I don't think so. On some, on some abstract Mashiach-type level, I suppose, but we don't live in that world. I live in the world with someone who has nothing but destructive associations with everything to do with Judaism. Is that a perfect world? No. What should he now do? I don't know. I'm not a therapist. But it might very well not be to make sure he's at Shachar's tomorrow morning at seven. Is there a process he can go on? Is there a, a steps he could take? Maybe. But I'm not God. This is leveling up. This is an expression of leveling out the playing field. I use the example of Shabbos the whole time. I keep Shabbos. It's not... 
thank you. It's not a big deal. Like, really. I like it. My family's always done it. It's the world I've always lived in. I enjoy it. The test for me is to get that spiritual kick that other people get when they Shabbos is coming. I, I'm that's not my chest. I have to work on that. I experienced, I, I do the example when Rifka went away once and I was uh, at home looking after the kids. She did a trip to, I think it was Israel. And I was like getting ready for Shabbos, set the table and I was chilling or playing something or whatever it was. And Shabbos was coming in. And I realized to myself, this is the first time I've actually got to stop doing malacha because Shabbos is coming in. You're like, what do you do every week? Every week I just go to shul and bring Shabbos in when I'm davening. I'd never had the experience of just waiting for I've got, I've got My kids were asleep upstairs. I didn't go to shul. I was staying at home, and I experienced having to step away from my weekly day. That was quite a profound experience for me. For someone who's have lived their lives not keeping Shabbos, that is like a massive deal. I can't relate to that. So re- recognizing that they're trying to level out the playing field in the conversation is recognizing that I'm not, I don't have God's perspective. I can only hope that I do my best and other people do their best. How that manifests itself religiously, I don't know. Imagine someone like another one, another one, one of my students. The metaphor we use for the relationship between us and Hashem is the most prominent one is Hashem is our father. Our father, our king. His father was unbelievably abusive. Horrific individual. In which case, when he got involved with religion, do you know what he did? He got so obsessed. But why? Because it was an abusive father telling him what to do. And the minute he went to therapy to deal with his father issues, what happened to the religion? I'm going to tell what he should or shouldn't do. My job is to be supportive. My job is to be there for him. But if life's complicated. And Hashem made such a complicated world. So when I say, should everybody be pro, I think, if you mean God-like Mashiachness, yeah, for sure, why not? You mean on the ground, let's get it going? No. Does that make sense? I mean, a person can say, I've to see how another perspective will really, do think anybody's going to listen to is going to attack me on that, but uh, I think that's fairly grounded in the sources as well. It's also, by the way, when someone's trying to keep Shabbat, they just do it all at once. I think I agree, but I think you're looking at it from the Mashiach-like metaphysical standpoint. On the ground that we live in, the random person who went to one of my shurim and it spoke to him a bit and we're in touch, but he's not doing anything. How much do I encourage? How much do I support? It's a complicated question because I can kill it and he can get it. And it's, it's uh, the ground of human being the interaction is tricky. Uh, anyway. And also the idea that... Uh, the idea that in the, in the specter of feeding your bread, you'll take a job. I'm a rabbi. Why am I a rabbi? That's why I'm an electrician, by the way. One of the reasons we, I, 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 I do, I'm very grateful that I'm able to balance my kiruv chinuch world with a real job. Why? Because very, very dangerous when you're, there's something very dangerous that when your livelihood is dependent on convincing people of something. Do you follow? That is a very scary world, because if you don't convince enough people, you lose your job. Work on commission. It's like a little, a little. Exactly. So in the world of world of chinuch, not so much because it doesn't have metrics quite like that. But if people are involved in kiruv and there's a certain expectation of like, what did you do this week? 
that can be very dangerous if that person's whole business, the whole livelihood is there. And this is an idea of pleasure recognizing people are like, well, it's his job. He must say thus. Like, no, let's try break out of that context. I don't have to say anything. I say this because I believe it. All right. Yep. All right. That's, would you guys continue? Please. Thank you. described as being the purpose of being alive there were two things he pointed to what do i expect religion to do for me make me happy and achieve perfection that's most people want that and if your religion is miserable at that there's a problem with your religion that was the opening and how did he prove that your, your religion is miserable at that is that it just produces misery yes you can point to the happy jew here and there Sorry? That what? Uh, history is a pretty good description of that. In the first letter, yeah, it was the beginning part of the first letter. What's Rav Hirsch going to do? What's he going to do here? He's going to question that assumption. And that is going to be a key thing we're going to he's going to develop in this letter. And maybe I'll give an overview of the letter just so we, because I'm not sure what, what point we'll get to today. What Ruth Hirsch does in this letter, and it's also a key point in a discussion with someone who's questioning why you're doing these religious ideas. Why are you doing this religion stuff? People are coming, that, coming at that with a question of a certain expectation of what life is about. They're coming with a vision of the meaning of life, and they want to see if Judaism fulfills that. This chap here, he came to this rabbi with an expectation that Judaism is supposed to make you happy. Ruth Hirsch questions that assumption. Who said life is about being happy? Who said that the purpose of being alive is to be happy? Who's happy? My happy? Your happy? The axe-wielding murderer's happy? Who's happy is religion trying to facilitate? Happiness is such a subjective expression. First, to make me happy. Why is that the purpose? And whose happiness? Yes. Uh, Speaker here is like, how are we defining happiness? Because I feel like I have heard a concept about like Judaism and like is about being happy. Like the goal of life is to be happy. So it's so is the real question just so, like what is happiness? So what's a good question? Because um actually I think they say it's pleasure or something. Yeah, something like so so, so when I so when I when, when when people like giving this share that everything's about pleasure, the bit it's a bit, I, I don't know, it's very, very great wise people discuss this idea that everything in, everything's about gaining pleasure, but just the highest, most refined form of pleasure. Like, okay, so you don't mean pleasure. People who pursue pleasure, we call them heathenists. They just care about pleasure. It, that, that isn't a refined, noble existence. What they mean by pleasure is if you pursue a high, noble ideal, the noblest goal, and you adopt it, and you feel the purpose of adopting it, and that makes you feel uplifted, and they call that pleasure. 
right, okay, maybe, but that's not why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it for the pleasure. I'm doing it for the nobility of the goal. If I was doing it for the pleasure, it would no longer be noble. So it's a bit of a, yeah. So the, the, pleasure, the pleasure structure seems very much like it's speaking to a very secular, like it's trying to fit the music into a very secular framework, which is that where you get to forget and to have nice things and to make money so to have cars and drive around and whatever. Ah, so you're saying they don't sh shift it in kind, they shift it in amount. This is just more of that. I'm saying that, like, it doesn't sound to me to be so authentically Jewish from within. It's right, so I didn't want to say that because the people who, people who, who but, but yeah, but I, I definitely hear your point. Of life is to be happy. And then the question is just how do we become happy? What is happiness? So it's like, if he, so is the rabbi Hirsch just fundamentally disagreeing with that premise? Or is he like going to kind of agree with the premise, but just defining so things are different? I, I, I think a bit of both, meaning he's disagreeing with the premise. And I think the people who give the share would agree with Rav Hirsch. But they're using the word happy in, I think, in a way that implies something else. They don't mean happy. They don't mean, because then a person would say, but wait a minute, I don't understand. I didn't eat this Shabbos because I couldn't work. That's not making, they'd be like, no, spiritual happiness. Okay, okay but then you no longer mean happy. You mean fulfilled, ennobled, doing the right thing. But if you think about that, once you recognize you do that, are you happy? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it can all sort of fit in, but I think that the way I've even described it was that it, it, it is it is a it, it, it's also using language that people I think relate. Well, Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a tricky it's a tricky idea because it, it, there's a reason why people teach it like that. <laughs> Please. If you're happy and Jews are destroying their lives, I'm not happy and Jews are destroying their lives. From this side perspective, like, I think in Britney, they should become good, like, there's a horrible structure of Jews in every continent. And I'm just thinking, I feel like the metaphor of Britney Law applies, like, what we were saying. Like, in question, I don't expect the Britney Law to be healthy. That's not why I'm doing it. But also, if it was going to kill the baby boy or really hurt the baby boy, we wouldn't do it either. So I feel like we're purchasing like, oh, is the boy really be happy? But that's not what we're discussing. Uh, we're discussing is the misery. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely, he's not going to, it, he, so what he's basically going to do is, because you got you got a good point. We don't walk away with that. Judaism isn't about being happy. Suck it up. <laughs> no, for sure. He's not doing that. He's doing two, he's doing two approaches. And just to yeah. do the framework and we'll break it down next time. He's doing, because your point that you mentioned is very apt. What he does is he faces the person's critique, which is, how does Judaism make me happy? Let's question that for a second. But I'm not going to pursue that. I'm not going to pursue that. He pursues another line of reason. He says, I want to question the validity of that pursuit. But now I'm going to ask you another question. And this will end because it's the, he says, rather than looking at Judaism as what is the goal? Of, sorry, looking at Judaism, does Judaism achieve whatever my goal is? Maybe let's ask a different question. What is Judaism's goal according to Judaism? Oh. So he begins to pursue that line of reasoning and then steps back and says, there's actually a very good thought experiment that allows you to question that line of reasoning. It's all about happiness. 
It's not all about happiness. I'll give you, a, a, in a moment, I'll give you a, a, a more modern philosophical way of describing that. But he says, I could go down that road, but I'm not going to. I've questioned it. But now let's ask a more fundamental question. You're attacking Judaism. How does Judaism achieve A? How does Judaism, wait a minute. Let's start with, what is Judaism's goal? From its standpoint, Judaism from its point of view, then ask another question. Does it achieve that goal? How do, and putting it into language that we'll use, how do the things that Judaism tells you to do achieve this? What are the things that Judaism tells you to do? Mitzvot. So what is the goal of Judaism? How do the mitzvahs facilitate that goal? And then lastly, is that goal better than your goal you started off with? If it is, you're welcome. If it isn't, Where is it? Okay, I'm gonna put this part, but I can't find it because it's written in like a, I didn't split it up into paragraphs here. Bear with me. Can't find it. It says, what is Judaism's goal? Does it achieve that goal? Is it noble? Does it call you more than your goal that you started off with, which was this happiness business? If it does, you're welcome to it. If it doesn't, cast stones on it. What does he mean by cast stones on it? Then reject it. He's not a therapist. But recognize what you're rejecting. Don't reject a weird, weird quasi-understood <laughs> version of Judaism that you got as a child, and does it achieve your goal that you have now? And then reject it on that standing. Understand what Judaism is. Understand what its goal is for the, what's, what's its vision of the world? And does it achieve that? And is that a goal that you want to adopt? And if it is, you are welcome to it. And if it's not, then go back to that. And, and that is the only way people talk about cure. That's the only way a person can genuinely do the cure. You show what Judaism is from its standpoint and then offer it to the other. And either they adopt it or they don't. And, and it's okay. The, the job isn't to convince people. The job is to show Judaism in its best light. 